0: Hi there, I'm Karen Dunn of KMD Productions. From the equipment manufacturers to the engineers to the business people behind the scenes. Over the years, every member of the Pro Audio Corner of the music industry have become family to me. And it's my job to bring the whole eclectic crew together. Each episode, I'll introduce you to one of these characters and open a window to my world of creating community in Pro Audio. Thanks for tuning in to One and Done. Today's guest is Tom Kenny. He's the editor of Mix Magazine and been an editor for a couple of decades. Okay, the story I always hear when we meet someone new, or I'm meeting someone new that you know, you always tell them how you got hired at Mix. You want to talk uh, about that?
1: Yes, it's uh, I got hired by you, Kara Dunn. <laughs> um, uh, and it is funny. I'm I, out of graduate school. I was at Indiana University and. Back in those days, I had a Word 3.0 program, and I did a tab-delimited mailing list to 120 publications in the Bay Area, thinking I wanted to live in the Bay Area and move out, and I mailed them. And out of 120, some, uh, 10 came back, and one of them was mixed. David Schwartz was the founder, co-founder, and uh, editor of Mix at the time, and he was from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and went to Indiana University and saw my resume. It was one of the ones to write, so. Uh, I came on that summer after graduate school. and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you were an assistant editor, associate, I can't remember. And I was working with $5 an hour for proofreading. And I had my master's degree, but I liked it. And But it was the summertime, and I was an independent contractor because you didn't have any positions. And I got my work from you. I would come in and sit in a corner with Ed ben Parath and a couple others. Uh-huh. And proofread, just mix electronic musician all day long. And I liked it. <laughs> but at the same time, I had a, a wife at the time, and she was going to go to grad school Mills College, and I had to make a living. And so I interviewed for a bunch of jobs when I got out here, and I had a public relations job that summer that was offering me. I remember at the time it was 1988, and they were offering me $32,000 a year to start. But my clients would have been Chevron, uh, the board of regents at the University of California, and a business roundtable of California, and these are all like with my political views and the way I was raised. That would not have been a happy time for me. So it was either thirty-two thousand or five dollars an hour. And um, and uh, I, and I had this decision. I really liked Mix. I liked the music. I liked the team there. And and then a job opened up right at the end of summer. Right when I had to make the decision, and you said to me, Mix, you know. $1,100 a month, and you can be an editorial assistant. And uh, I think $13,000 a year, oh my gosh. Um, and then you said, came back to me the next day and said, we could give you 1200 a month. And I said, okay, I took it. And so I took Mix over uh, PBN Public Relations, Peter B. Beckenhauser, and I've never for a minute regretted the decision. And thank you for hiring me, Karen Dunn. <laughs>
0: <yeah. laughs> One of my best hires ever. You've been in Pro Audio forever, so what does community mean to you? And secondly, th- and how do you see Mix's place in the Pro Audio community? So it's a two-part yeah. question.
1: Oh, uh, wow. Um, community, it's uh, its one of those words that uh, out here in the early 1990s, like the first round of the internet, uh, when we had modems and everything, the word community was brought up a lot in those corporate meetings, and, and it, became a, it quickly became this like... Ugly term, as like hey, uh, sort of a, a bastardized marketing term or something. and People dismiss the community, and it's come back. And I, I it's so essential. Um, I mean, the idea of uh, I'm Irish, so you have an immediate community. Uh, if your name's Kenny, you have an Irish community. I Come from a large family community. Is uh, in a fraternity community? And then um, pro audio. I mean, that, that was it. I didn't know much about pro audio when I came here, and it's it's a tight community, large enough to cover the world and a small enough community that you can have a nice dinner at any time right. with a, a person in pro audio, and that's your small community there. But it's something I learned. I mean, I didn't I didn't know a thing about pro audio when I joined, and uh, and I learned it. and uh, I've always enjoyed it because one, it's a it's a creative community, uh, and mm. it, is, it has technology. So they're they're thinkers. They're they're pointing toward the future, and at the same time, they're artists. Uh, even people who people who work for manufacturers are artists. They play guitar. It's a, right. it's a combination of the community. It's like all the left brain, right brain people gathered and decided to go into pro audio, and it's kind of a it's kind of fun that way. So I've, I love the community. I mean, I've, I've grown up in it over half my life now, and never never looked back. Uh, oh, Mix's place. That was yeah. the second part. Uh, Mix, I I better mention Mix in this. Um, uh. And Nix is to me. I didn't know much about the trade press, and you realize when you get out into the world that uh, every industry has its sort of voice, as it's uh, has its beacon, or whether it's a magazine, a newsletter, uh, a voice, a blogger, uh, anything. It's a uh, it provides that access to the industry, and that was a word that always hit me when I was a young a young lad, as Paul Poti used to call me, young Tom. That Nix provides that access for the community. And that's the role that it's always played for me. Uh, not many people get to go to the Village to you. Not many people get you know, had the privilege to visit Hit Factory, New York. But if you could bring that to them in a little bit, there's a there's a large world out there. You know, forty five thousand readers of the magazine. How many get to go to Criteria, or how many get to visit Record Plant, or? Uh, but that's the access, and it's a, it's an aspiration. And so Mix's role in the community is really to provide that sort of Look at look at the industry. An uh, overview of the industry to provide access for everybody who wants to enter and anybody who wants to learn.
0: Do you incorporate that vision of community into your writing at all?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like because one, you you um you write for an audience. I mean, uh, it's interesting. It makes that you need to. We assume you have some knowledge. It, and that's different right. than uh, a newspaper. Uh, a magazine you might find in the grocery store, or anything like that. Mix has an assumed knowledge in the industry. I mean, based on that community, you could uh, say, uh, you can have shorthand information that it presumes an insider information. You have an audience that wants to be there. Uh, and and they've looked up, and Mix has been a powerful, the, 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 the Mix voice or the Mix brand has, I can call up, I was always amazed as a young lad, that I could uh, call up Disney post-production studios, and I could go in, because Disney has an interest in the sound community, I could call in and I could find out, and they didn't know me. But everybody, you know, I could call a studio in Kansas, Washington D.C., Miami, Tampa, and I could I could visit, and they welcomed it. And to me, it's like <laughs> it's a little bit like family. I'm a big family right. man, so I mean, it's it's like there's a once you're inside that sense of community, and you have the privilege of being the editor of mix, uh, you're part of the family. And, and that's always been special.
0: I know you're a big family guy. You've got a couple daughters, and you're from a family of ten
1: brothers and sisters, right? 12. Uh, 12. a, <sighs> a dozen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm one of twelve. yeah.
0: Okay, where are you in the twelve?
1: Uh, I like tell. I, I mean, I can't be in the middle, but I'm sixth, so I'm, I'm a middle child. Of 12 okay. The twelve, the forgotten one in the middle, the one, <laughs> the one that has to, the one that has to get along with everybody.
0: Do you think growing up in a family like that influenced your whole feeling of community? I yeah. talked to Chris Rodriguez the other day. And so he was talking about, we were talking about community family for him is a huge community, his family. So Absolutely. how was that? And do you think it influenced your choices going yeah. forward?
1: Certainly. Uh, I, I, I don't dislike anybody in the world. I mean, I, I like people. I like being around people. Uh, uh-huh. And in a family of 12, I mean, we get along remarkably well. I mean, to this day, we gather for larger reunions. My parents are still alive. I'm fortunate. My mother turned 85 yesterday. Uh, happy birthday, Mary. And, um, and my father's 88. It's Irish and raised Catholic in a small town in Indiana. I mean, it doesn't get any more family than that. You know? right. I knew very few divorced kids. I knew any of that. For better or worse, I don't, I don't judge that. I just... Uh, you know, that was my sense of family. And, um, you know, you met at dinner. You ran around with your brothers. You played Capture the Flag. And you got you realized that the group was important. I mean, if there's one thing that I sort of marked and I'd want to pass on to my children is some sense of humility that we're all part of this world. We're all part of this community. We help each other out. And uh, you know, there's no, always, you would help out your brother. You would help out your sister. You had your chores to do. Uh-huh. There's a sense of sort of responsibility and trust. And I think those are both key. The key elements to any community that, uh, one, you get along. (laughs) Uh, Two, you you laugh together. I think that's an important part of any community. And uh, and three, you're you're still interested in each other after many years. uh, I bless that, my family. And then I do have two daughters, and they're both wonderful um, adult women, uh, living wonderful lives right now. Uh, One's in Toronto. Molly, the oldest, is a midwife in Toronto, uh, married to Nick. Uh, has two children, and Jessie is in museum studies here in Oakland, California with me. She got her master's in museums and worked at the San Francisco Airport Museum and is now in that limbo that we're all in, but right. uh, with a wonderful guy named John, and family's important to them.
0: Yeah. It's interesting you're talking about family and the being together and a whole bunch of you, but you chose swimming as a sport. <laughs> so, yes. so swimming, even though it's a team, <sighs> it's an individual sport yeah. also. Explain that. Ah, uh, well, first well, tell everybody I, what you swam and, and, uh, okay. So, yeah, I, I love swimming.
1: swimming. Swimming was a big part. Talk about community. You have a, you know, a summer swim team in Rensselaer, Indiana. And there'd be a hundred kids from eight and under to 15 to 19. And, you know, you go up the ladder, there's a hierarchy. You have people whose records you want to beat. And so you join the summer swim team and those are your people. Uh, that's what you did, and especially in small town Indiana in the 70s. And um, a such of success. And I, I don't know. I played baseball. I played basketball as a sport. If you have seven brothers, you play yeah. you end up with sports. I mean uh you can't you can't really avoid it. And uh but I swimming does a tattoo. What I I don't know. I, mean, I haven't thought about this in a while. Probably the solitude when you uh you know, if you're when the there's six so many 12, of you. Yeah. Your entire your entire life is noise and people and you never had a you know I never had not had a roommate. I never not I always had a roommate every every year of my growing up. And uh it's there's something sort of uh Really hypnotic about going up and down and looking at that black line in the bottom and doing your flip turn and metronomic and I used to count my strokes and it sort of became my meditation I would think in a way but also just incredible physical exercise I love swimming I mean at the same time you have this individual sort of uh, performance you are you're there at the edge of the pool rooting for the, the third-place guy in the 100-yard backstroke. You know, you're rooting for him because your team can beat Valparaiso that day. And uh, it's a giant deal. It's so yeah. individual achievement, I think that we do, I think the world is full of superstars. I, I've met a number of them in pro audio, and you love your, you love your stars and your heroes, and that's the, that could be great to have individual performance. But if you're not rooting for the, the kid in lane six on the breaststroke at, at the end of the meet to help help you beat, you know? That that kid realizes he's important too. There's one point right. back there is, is important. Right. And, uh, to me, swimming has that. You know? I'm allowed to be by myself. I'm allowed to perform how I kind of selfish side of me, I guess. And then um, you, you got to be buddies with the kid in lane six.
0: Right. Yeah, I learned. I was always in team sports. And I think one thing that I learned that's influenced everything is that there are going to be people on your team that you don't really like or get along with, yeah. but yeah. you have to learn how to work with them because you have a common goal,
1: right? Absolutely. So,
0: so that's really influenced a lot of what I've done since then.
1: Yeah, and, um, and you're never in a small in a small group like that. You're never, but it's an office or a bank or whatever. I mean, you're not. Uh, there's going to be people who don't match your beliefs, your styles, right. your your way of working. I mean, I'm a procrastinator <laughs> that pisses off a lot of people, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But I get things done, and um, and I'm part. Of my, I love. I used to love the editorial meetings at Mix every Tuesday morning at ten thirty, and I'd bring a, a dozen donuts in a pink box, and it. Uh-huh. I re, I realized it, that little group at Mix uh, of you know, Blair Jackson, Paul Pony George Peterson, you at the beginning, Karen uh, Barbara Schultz, Sarah Jones. I and I walked in with the pink box, and over those years, I realized I spent more than eight thousand dollars on donuts, <laughs> for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for my community <laughs> you know I everything mean, was, i was a yeah. managing editor and then the editor i brought him it became a thing but even the donuts were important in the community yeah. talk about community at a church a lot of you know if you grow up in a household you go to church the the basement in <laughs> the church on a sunday morning i mean you couldn't wait to get out of the pew and you'd run down and get donuts and coffee feasting is a part of community you right. know feasting celebration and uh, Dinner and awards shows and uh, all—all these are based on community gathering.
0: Right. Yeah, I was going to talk a little bit more about mix, but we'll come back to that because you mentioned tech awards. You and I part of mix, yeah. But but it was—it's its its own community that is part of mix. So you and I worked on that together for a long time. You were in as you wrote the scripts. Yeah. You were stage manager.
1: You were a troubleshooter. Some of the best days of my life were at the tech awards. They were fun.
0: They were a lot of fun. What are some of your favorite stories that
1: can be shared? Um, Just first of all, I'd never been to a ballroom with 800 people like in reverence of something, you know, or or wanting to give out awards or wanting to hear a speech. I mean, I'd watch things on TV, but at that, you know, when you're 26 and not a part of a big industry or something, you know, you don't see that. So, my first impression was, "Wow, uh, this is big!" And I'm standing next to Tom Dowd, or or right. Bruce Swedee, or, or Al Schmitz, or uh, the Giants. I mean, they, they all came out and the the Tech Awards. But I got I got to step back a bit. You know, The first thing is that sort of forged my impression at mix is when you say the Tech Awards, uh, people think it's about technology only. And uh, but uh, the TEC stands for Technical Excellence and Creativity. Eh? And it was a founding, is a sort of the founding concept of the Tech awards, as I understand it. I came in a little after you, and I came mm-hmm. in when it was five, five years in, or something like that. And, um, but it was technical excellence and creativity, and that part is so crucial because they don't just honor the technology; they honor the people, they honor the engineers, they honor the manufacturers, they honor the, uh, the film mixers, they honor the the mastering engineers, they honor the whole community. And that that idea of you have to have technolo- technical excellence, and you have to have that sort of right brain nutso creativity is the community I mean, that's the ethos of the community and the okay. tech awards symbolize that more than anything it, it, to me it, it'd be a, you know 28 29 years old and put on a tuxedo i had to rent that's the first time i ever wore a tuxedo in my life um was at the biltmore hotel probably <laughs> but i, I told the story i mean one of my favorite memories of all to start out of is at uh, the biltmore and um, i was early on and I knew Ed Ed Churney, the late Ed Churney, and it became a friend of both yours and mine. And uh, very early on, and Rose Mann's there, and she's the head of record plant, for goodness sake. And I know enough to, to know who these people are in the industry. But I'm suddenly there working with you behind the scenes, and the, the event is over. It's wonderful. And I'm having a cocktail, and, I, and I'm with Ed and Rose, and they, they're they just talking like friends. And I and I know enough to know that I'm like, golly oh, gee, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Jones, I'm just happy to be here. So it was immediately accepted. It was immediately accepted. And it went on from there. And I met the celebrities. You know, I got the, uh, I've had so many, so many of the stories I couldn't tell here. But uh, Les Paul, I mean, you, know, you create the Les Paul Award, and Les is there till one in the morning at the after party. He just sit with people. I mean, yeah. People walk up, Les will talk to him. Sometimes had a Budweiser in his hand. Sometimes flirted with the ladies. But sometimes. Les was uh, yeah. <laughs> Les was a great guy. Uh, Stevie Wonder came to the after party and stayed t- two in the morning. Yeah. Talking to everybody. Uh, Stevie Wonder shook my hand on the way out. After, it was only the second time I'd met him in my life. And I remember him coming out at 1.30 at the Marriott Marquis. Like, uh, I forget what floor we were on, but it was one of the, the after oh, party no. floor where we got the big suite. Right. Uh, and Stevie has come to but he just said thank you so much, Stevie. He says, God bless you, Tom. But first of all, I didn't even, you know, he was ignorant enough to know that how does stevie don't remember my name uh but it was just a moment where you go like wow he doesn't, doesn't have to know my name but that's again pro audio music the creative the recording community they're they're welcoming it's a very welcoming in this yeah um i remember standing next to janet jackson when she's going to present to uh jimmy jam and terry lewis i think it was am i right yeah 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 yeah, yeah and um we're standing inside the stage and she's she looks like Janet Jackson. I mean, it's unbelievable. Right. And um, she's like dancing quietly, like fidgeting, and, and she's about to go on the MC. I forget who it was at your, but I was about to call her on. and I go, "Are you nervous? I go, Janet, this will be easy. This audience will love you. This is you've been in Rio, you know, you played to her. And she goes, "I've never not been nervous when I've gone on any stage." And I go, "Like, oh my gosh." This is Janet Jackson and she's in front of an audience and she's nervous as could be. And she pulled it off brilliantly. Yeah. Of course. And, uh, you know, and it's dear sweet. And she's, her, her honesty there to Jimmy and Terry was just, it's, it's, it's fun to see. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's other a million things I got to, I mean, spending an afternoon to hang with Tom Dowd, uh, as we're doing rehearsal on this Saturday afternoon, Tom Dowd says things like, it's a gas, Tom. It's a gas. And I like, Tom Dowd just said, it's a gas. He is like, the coolest the 1960- guy. Like a 1950s jazzer or whatever. Yeah. There's so much fun. Yeah. I mean, Don Dom was giving a the tribute speech to Brian Wilson, right? At the same year that the documentary came out about Brian, that that stream of consciousness, acid poetry tribute speech by Don, to this day, how many people have seen it? It was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, There's a thousand moments like that.
0: Do you have a favorite moment?
1: <laughs> I. <laughs> Two, two, but I can't tell either one of them here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, there was a moment, um, when father, just as a, from the stage manager side and from, I mean, from being there five feet away, but nobody can see you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and witnessing it was a, it was when the AS was, I don't even, I don't even know if it's a favorite, but it's so remarkable. And, um, it was a long show we got over time. And we were at the St. Francis in San Francisco. That's when mm-hmm. the AS was for a while. And there was um, a Father Guido Sarducci was our host. And it was one of the early ones. And George Martin, you know, the one amazing Sir George, uh, was the uh, the Hall of Fame Pottery, uh-huh. uh, I believe, that year. Yeah. And, and Father Guido, and we were running long, and as you can tell, when you're backstage, you can tell the audience is getting tired, we're out of wide. There's 800 people here, and they all want to leave, but they really can't. And, uh, and Father Guido popped up on stage. He goes, "But uh, off the cuff, and I do this, I've been hanging with him for four hours. And He goes, ladies and gentlemen, and he's in the full regalia. And he goes, I did not know tonight when I came, but I'd have George, George Martin in the audience. And I would, uh, I've would, i just always wanted to do this. And he, boom, and he led into like a 60-second Beatles medley of, uh, in almost... He just riffed it off a cappella at the mic to close the show. And it was brilliant. It wasn't George right? And George Martin was at the table, like in the front row. And I happened to be by the stage, and he came around by partition when Father Guido said, good night, everybody. See you next year. And, uh, and they met a foot from me. And George uh, George Martin hit a beeline. Father Guido had just stepped off the stage. And he said, oh, Father, Father Guido. That is the like the best I've heard a thousand Beatles medley imitations. That's the best one I've ever heard, and, it, and they hugged and everything. You know, and then they were gone. And uh, you say, "Wow, that, that just happened." Uh, no, nope. and I felt like I was the, uh, probably the only person in the world who saw that. But it was absolutely magic. Uh, the Tech Awards. I, I, I have uh, two hundred of those if I sat down for yeah. a few pints with you. But um, I'm a humble guy. I'm not. I'm not one who's like enamored, but I've been privileged in my position it makes to be able to to meet those type of brilliant people, brilliant people.
0: I think that the issue has always been trying to get people to understand what the tech awards are, that feeling in the room. Yeah. So if you can convince them to go, they never not want to go. Yeah, it's it's unlike anything I've ever
1: experienced. (laughs) We had one year, I remember, with Phil Spector. Oh, my gosh. And... um. To this day, I think it's the only recording that doesn't exist. On this it record. is, yeah. It is, and it's, I think, what you like. But um, <laughs> he it's sort of, and he had appeared in public a lot before that. This was before, obviously, everything happened. But um, he had appeared in public, and so there's some skepticism about it. He showed up in and he gets up, but we didn't know what his speech would be about. Right. And he didn't come to rehearsal. Um, and then he, uh, he got up on stage, and uh, we're all wondering what's going to happen. Right. to accept this Hall of Fame award. Phil Spector deserves a Hall of Fame award, for goodness sake. And, um, and his opening joke, I remember this, his opening joke was, what do you get when you cross John Denver and Michael Bolton? There's a pause. There's 800 people
0: out there. There's a pause. He goes, Barney. And the
1: yeah, the dinosaur. Uh, right. But the, the audience is like, What? At a room of eight hundred people who are perplexed is noticeable, and then he went on for like twenty minutes. I remember yeah. uh, basically berating the music industry, the record industry, the recording industry. How nothing was better than it was. And just like essentially told them all they were, <laughs> like, you guys are terrible. And then um, and then for thirty seconds after after like blasting, he goes like, "But I love the record industry. I love music." And then eight hundred people give me a standing ovation. Yeah, and I'm like. I said, "There, I said, there." Clapping. It's almost the show's almost yeah. over. But you guys realize he just insulted all of you. Um, but it's magic. I mean, because there's a there's a love in the room. I mean, there's a in that room. Like you're talking about that. Bring up that story because there it is. It's a magical feeling. Uh, if Phil Spector wants to rant and then tell you all he loves you, that's a good night. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's a good night.
0: Yeah. Were you there for the um, Neil Young? Yeah. So, same uh, kind of thing where he ranted.
1: Yeah, and he went on to well, and he's Neil young. He can do that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's his one chance. I mean, I don't, I don't have any problem about that. And, and, and no, no, no. He, he had a hard thing about high res and analog, or you Neil know, cares. I mean, yeah, that's the one thing. If, you, if they care, you know, a good rant. I mean, and nobody
0: left. Nobody left nah. the Phil either. It, those speeches nah. went on for a long time, but nobody moved.
1: Nobody left. No, and then yeah. I mean, then you realize. Uh, that's this is the one time they have i mean and it's a to a very special audience you know i've uh, uh i it's funny when i became editor of mix I and mean, for a long time mix didn't allow people on the cover uh it was always a console in the studio and we honored the studio but right and then i changed that and i, I and with a lot of help but uh, i it put people on the cover and and i've been, i've been amazed i mean celine Dion sat the cover of mix because she's with Francois her engineer uh-huh. she shows up showed up like no stylist, no man. <laughs> so these are the covers. Steven Tyler, and Joe Perry come over to sit with Jack Douglas. between tapings of wow. of uh American Idol. Was that Steven's show? Yeah. I'm sorry I don't watch but your tapings in full gain. Um had a number of those where the artist, the one that gets uh Rolling Stone or a People magazine, will sit with their engineer and producer for mix. And that was that room at the Tech Awards. That was right. Janet Wa- Janet Jackson wants to come on or Terry. And Jimmy, you know, Neil Young wants to talk to that audience yeah. for 20 minutes. And uh, I remember John Byers' speech about wanting to be on a desert island behind barbed wire. That'd be his preferred life with a telephone. But he loved being in the room with those 800 people as well. Yeah. Um, and you realize that's the affection these we've had. We had George Lewis. I remember standing by, Sting at the Tech Awards, and looking over at him, going like, "My God, you're good looking." like you're, you're like you're like you look like a greek statue you're, uh-huh. you're in person like wow yeah you know and uh but sting wants to honor his engineers and producers right. you know he shows up uh, yeah. it's remarkable the people yeah. brian wilson shows up um gosh, harvey hancock i mean the legends that have been through the tech awards that that show up artists and engineers is remarkable yeah. and it's I think it says something about the community. I think it says something right. about Pro Audio that the creators know what's important.
0: I agree. You were just talking about how the covers have changed the mix uh, yeah. from consoles to people. What's it been like shepherding mix through the huge shifts in the print industry since you started? Because yeah. it's definitely a lot different than it was when oh, you first yeah. started.
1: Uh, the whole media. I mean, it's uh, that's a whole nother... I can go on for 12 hours on that. But the biggest thing is just try to narrow down. We don't have as many pages. Media, I could go on. Media, music got hit hard by the internet. It doesn't mean the support isn't there. It doesn't mean the community's not there. I mean, I preside 10 years, the, the decade of the 90s, the go-go 90s, we averaged a 248-page issue a month. I mean, and when you manage that, that's a lot of photographs. That's a lot of text. That's a lot. It's a big, bigger budget. I fly around the country. And all that access has changed for the right. I mean, right now we're talking on zoom uh, and it's a whole different world uh, that every bit of change though brings a chance to incorporate something else. Now we're doing virtual events. We're doing, I'm having access to Emmy award winning engineers and, uh, you know, Oscar winning award engineers. And we're bringing them in from England and we're bringing them in from this. So, I, yes, I lament the days of of a big fat magazine, but I also love this opportunities for new media. I mean, if you like technology and you like audio, it's a pretty good time to be alive. Yeah, you know, that we're we're discovering. Yeah. So the change, I am. You but know, a lot of people have had it worse than me. I, I'm still the head of Mix, and we we put out online. We put out newsletters. One thing I laugh about: um, I do a newsletter these days, and it's Mixed Line. It comes out every Tuesday and Thursday. And, I'm back to doing it, you know. I put out the items and I select the items. But in nineteen <laughs> ninety one or ninety two, at Mix, we started uh, Mix Facts, and it was a fax newsletter. Like uh,
0: facts, like the machine.
1: The machine, and you could type in. There's a there's a facility for corporate office fax machines where you could dial in a group a group number. And we had eight hundred people sign up by paper, and we had to go like type, print it out. Feeding it into a fax machine, a, a weekly newsletter, a mixed facts. And um, 30 years later, I mean, David, David Schwartz and Hello Reznor, hello, people, Hello uh, uh, Reznor's role in Mix was enormous. And he was a brilliant marketing man. And he was behind the, uh, the tech awards there. And Hal is one of, uh, looking, back over, looking back over my career, Hello's uh, a brilliant man in terms of marketing and reaching audience and knowing that community. Right. And Hello, they came up with Mix Fat. I laugh that I or if I speak in a college whatever. 30 years later, I I can push a button faster and I can assemble the apps faster and I can do all that. But the idea is there. The mm-hmm. idea was there to have a a newsletter that reached the industry, reached the people who needed to have the information. And so the changes are real, but I know that. I mean, I, there's always going to be technology changes. Uh, right. You know, and the magazines will come and go. The magazines will rise and fall. The print will move I, 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 we have a strong brand at mix i'm grateful for that uh, fits nice on a, on a baseball cap yeah um, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be around i mean he has changed dramatically but the, the fundamentals remain the same i mean that yeah. so however we want to reach him i the, my only problem is i don't like being on camera so much uh so if i have to do all these things, <laughs> and i <laughs> write you're there so the funny thing is it's 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 okay to hide behind words i can write all day i'm right. up late at night i might write, but uh, being on camera makes me a little more nervous
0: yeah what advice would you have for someone interested in music journalism as a career right now
1: uh right 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 uh because no matter how you want to present yourself uh, whether you're a uh, podcaster whether you're a youtuber whether you're an influencer whether you're a personality whether you're a spokesperson for the industry you have to communicate uh, and writing's that fundamental part, so don't give up on writing. I mean, whether it's your emails to your colleagues, whether it's your everything, I mean, think about writing. And if you want to be a music journalist, um, one, I think you have to know about media and reaching people somewhat uh, right. in whatever form. But I also think if you're music, you should know art, you should know film, you should know cooking, you should know, I mean, be broad. I mean, keep your interest broad and wide and don't just don't just say, I want to be a music journalist, so I'm going to do music and journalism. You yeah. know, that's that's, a, that's not a ticket to a long career. That's a ticket to a, I might want to get a job. I didn't, I didn't when I joined Mix, I didn't know it'd be my career. Right. But I'm sure glad, I am so glad I did. And I'm so glad you hired me. Kevin.
0: <laughs> You've been in and out of studios, showrooms,
1: trade yeah. shows.
0: All these yeah. different things, so what's been your a most memorable moment from all of this?
1: <laughs> the dinner's in las Vegas um <laughs> uh, wow, memorable I mean, no, I mean, I wish I had something to say like i I saw Stevie Nicks sing landslide. I don't have that story um <laughs> but let me think i mean i one of my favorite things. I mean, I, I like trade. Trade shows are a big part of my life that I didn't know would be a part of my life. And so you, know, you go see technology. It takes a few years to get to know people and to come around and they shake your hand they say, Tom, you know, rather than mix. And um, and once you reach that point, I think you know, some of my things, I mean the dinners. I gotta say, I, I, I really enjoy the dinners at trade shows when you've had a long day. Um, you might find out some new things. You run across some you have know, friends and people you don't for you. But then, uh, you, you get to sit down. <laughs> you might even still have your backpack with you. Uh, you're right. it, But you're just suddenly in that, that uh, cookie dinner becomes a four-hour dinner with a third bottle of wine. Good stories. You decide to order dessert and then you have a coffee and then you have a port and it keeps going. I've had some of my best dinners ever with. Dan Zippelman from API, you know. Uh-huh. At, at these, I mean, I'm, it's hard to pick a top ten. In, in and out of studios and everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm still amazed at going into studios. I, I still, I still have a little boy, teenage boy, sort of fascination. I've never become jaded. I like walking into a room and hearing it, and hearing the studio owner's story or the engineer's story, and and that's just been a constant. Um, I, I mean, I have a favorite story. Peter Gabriel. I'll tell you, right, here's one of my favorites ever. A quickie, because I know we're running out of time. I'm sure. I'm Irish. I'm the middle of twelve children. I talk too much, um, <laughs> so. I'm not. Again, I'm not. It sounds. Sometimes it sounds like I'm name dropping. I'm not. This is all a no. privilege of being the editor of okay. Mix. And I'm a. I'm still a small town boy from Rensselaer, Indiana, who grew up with three stoplights in his hometown. You know, but I had. It's Peter Gabriel. Okay, in He must have been about two thousand around there. He he was a part of the team that bought SSL, bought mm-hmm. South State Logic. Um David Kepke, uh Video guy in the Europe, great team. Uh, SSL is a tough time for large console manufacturers and stuff and Peter had real World, had the SSL consoles I believe. and believes that Peter's a real, he's not philandemic, it wasn't charity. Peter wanted it, Peter knows technology. Peter, very, very, very astute in technology. So happens that my daughter, Jessie, uh, my younger one, Molly and Jesse are my daughters. In, and we had just seen, I always had watch movies and we'd seen Say Anything the movie with Lloyd Dobler, John Cusack, the famous scene where he's holding up the uh, boombox and he's playing In Your Eyes to his girl in the Romeo and Juliet moment. Right. And so we saw that. And then a couple of weeks later, Peter Gabriel's on tour, and uh, maybe a month later, and he's in Oakland, and I get the mixed tickets. And I am in the 10th row, and Peter Gabriel's doing a, a concert tour in the round. And so he's driving out his foot. I mean, he had, this, he had a canoe on the stage. He went around, he had a bicycle. I remember this tour. And I'm in the 10th row with Jesse. Molly didn't go to that one. And uh, I think Jesse liked the movie more. Maybe that's why uh-huh. I picked Jesse. And so Peter Gabriel's going around the right, he's singing in your eyes, like right in front of us. And uh, it's a magic moment with your 11-year-old daughter, you know? Right. And uh, so then fast forward like two months later, and uh, I think it was Deborah Pagan, who was representing SSL, called me and said, hey, Tom, at the AES in New York on this Saturday, whatever, there's going to be a lunch. And they'd like, they're inviting two editors, SSL's inviting two editors to come to lunch in New York with uh, Peter and David kepney i probably pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, and so they, me and Frank Wells, the editor of ProCenters, went mm-hmm. to this lunch. And so I'm standing out and I'm always, uh, I don't want to approach celebrities or anything, but we're standing out and the limousine comes at like 12.30 to the Javits Center to take us away. Me, oh, hey, back up. Back up the story. That's, that's the story. So I'm going to go out to lunch with Peter Gabriel. I get this call. And I'm, uh, so that Friday before I fly to New York, I, I turned to my daughter and I go, hey, Jesse. I remember her being at the IMAP computer in the kitchen. I go, hey, Jesse, guess who I'm going to lunch with next Friday? She says, who Dad? Peter Gabriel. Pause. She goes, better buy some new clothes, Dad. And I'm <laughs> just deadpan for my 11-year-old. And I, I still dress like him in the 1970s. does that was the hysterical moment. So I fast forward, I'm standing at the limo with Peter Gabriel to go to Midtown and um. I say, hi Peter, nice, thank you. I'm the editor of Banks. And yeah, I'd like the next time. whatever you say when you walk up to him. I go, I'd like to tell you a story, but I'm sure you've heard it a million times. Just say anything. You're know, my daughter. Uh, you know, Lloyd Dobler, you're in concert. Buy some new clothes down. And he laughs. We get to the living room, go to lunch. Yeah. And I said, Bye. And he's, and he's, uh, and I, I get like, fortunate. World, he talks world politics, world music, world everything. He's a amazing man. And he asked me if I you know, earlier, if I'd like to write something to my daughter because it was a funny story. I go, no, right. no, no. Finally, lunch is ending, and I go like, shit. I had a business card, and I asked the waiter for a pair of them, And I said, Peter, you know, would you write something to my daughter? And I um, <laughs> laughed. He goes, I'd love to, Tom. And I never told him. That. I, now that I, think, I never told him that her name was Jesse, J-E-S-S-E. But he writes, Dear Jesse, and he gets it right. It was on the back of my business, mixed business card. He says, Dear Jesse, your dad looks great in his new clothes. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> over the over the tea, he puts this little sunburst. With a couple of thoughts. yeah, and, I call, and um, my daughter still has it. You know, it's it's a wonderful moment, and I get to I get to fly home from the show and tell her, hey, yeah, Jesse, and hey, Peter Peter Gabriel wrote this for you." You know, all within about a six month period of, from say anything to a concert at the Oakland Coliseum to uh, my chance going to lunch with him in New York City, and just a genuine guy. I mean, just a genuine guy, and you know? that's. That's one of my personal thrills. It connected my family, my job, my everything. um, Hey, Jesse, your dad looks good in his new clothes. Because I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just a couple more questions. You do a lot in film and audio post. You write a Uh, lot about that. What interests you so much about that? And how is it different than than the uh, pro audio side?
1: uh, Let's see. Well, to me, they're all pro-audio. One's music and one's... Right, uh, that's, yeah. So but yes. Okay. But um, uh, let me think about it. That's a good... That's a very good question. Thank um, you. What I got into, it, I think I'd always like movies. I think when I went to journalism school in Indiana, in the master's program, you can break it down to, you know, newspaper journalism, comedy journalism, PI, all this. And uh, and I took reporting the arts. I was just like, oh, I want to. And so I'd take art, you know, art color theory classes, go to the art museums. I had to cover an opera. I fell asleep. I honestly fell asleep at an <laughs> opera. That's absolutely, I was like 22, probably partying the night before and fell asleep. But I also had, uh, went to the Bluebird Cafe in Bloomington and had to write a story about a rock show. And uh, yeah. I love film. I always liked movies. I remember, like, Butch Cassie as Sundance Kid. Like, some of my seminal movies were 2001, Andromeda Strain, and Butch Cassie as Sundance Kid, all these things when I was nine or 10. and I always liked movies. I think film combines a lot of visual. I've always liked the uh, fine art. I've always, I, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy Precious. I'm uh, a big fan of Gauguin, you know. Uh, right. I I understand where Picasso fits in the world, you know, besides being cubist. Uh, I, I, all these things, I've always just been a part of my life. Uh, and, and I think film brings a lot of them together. Film is also, and I'm Irish. I had a grandfather, James Valentine Kenny, who was the best storyteller I've ever met. To this day, nobody nobody can tell a story like my grandfather. I think film does that, and it brings kind of the visual, the audio. And so, I, I fell into a strange situation where I got a call and I was able to write about the Doors movie. And it was my first big feature article for Bix, about 1990, 91. And uh, I was able to talk with Wiley Stateman, Mike Winkler, uh, Paul Rothschild, Bruce Botnick, and I wrote a story. And it was, I guess, it started with a movie about music, but it turned into a whole I've had books and everything it turned into something I never knew would come together in my life. But I guess film and sound brings together all the things I like. Yeah, I like going to music festivals and I like going to a museum to look at paintings. And, yeah. and I think um, that I've never I'll have to, can I have a copy of this recording so I can remember to say that again? I didn't <laughs> even, I haven't even, I've never been asked that question, but that's, uh, yeah, that, that might be why. Okay.
0: My last question. Do you have a favorite project, a favorite event, something that you created at
1: Mix? Uh, I, the t- I mean, nothing tops the tech ones, but uh, in terms of my sort of formative career thing. Today, right. though, I mean, today the world's a different place. And so the thing that I created was the Soundper film. I mean, that, that's it. it was a, We do an event every September at Sony Picture Studios, the, former, the biggest studio in L.A. in Culver City, the former MTM lot has the rainbow. Uh, we work with Tommy McCarthy in the post-production services. And we have the whole post-production facilities, you know, with the Cary Grant Theater, the Willie Bolden, the Novak, the, uh, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it, the Lancaster. Um, and we we have 800 people visit, a very tight community. I mean, again, it's funny, back to the word community. I mean, this South for Film and Television post-production is, is magnificent, incredibly creative. Everything I like about the music world, I absolutely adore about the film. And television post production world to streaming, gaming. I mean, I, right. I mean, sound for picture. So in 2014, uh, we were on the to do an event. And because the magazine had gotten smaller over the years, I didn't have as much room to cover film post production, but we just, we could do it in an event. And the way the world and the media, the, the, all that works, I uh, called Tommy McCarthy and set it up and Sony. And it's become very successful. I had 800 some people the last year before the pandemic. Uh, Karen, you produced it. I mean, you've been a part of it. And it's certainly, The idea that it brings together these incredible panelists who win Oscars for Best Sound. I mean, our keynote speakers are the Mark Mangini, who won later for Mad Max Theory Road. We have Wiley's Statement, who just did Creed's Gambit, eight time nine time nominee for an Oscar. These are big people. And we have a room with Meyer Sounds debut of their new speaker, you know? And that event has it built every year. And then pandemic hit. We took it virtually. It was still successful. We're coming back in September and now talk about how things change. Great successful in-person event. You get to go to Culver City for a weekend. We put on the event. It's it's wonderful to hook up with people. Then you do it virtually. You think like, how do I do this? How the the hell am I going to do this? How do I recreate that? This year, we're already planning right now for hybrid. You know, have a limited in-person at Sony at the end of September and have a, a hybrid live because we realize if the one thing that it's taught us the last, you know, eighteen months is that this will be a part of our future. This, uh, not, maybe not as many Zoom meetings, and maybe not as many Google meets, but right. reaching out to people and providing information to people and connecting with people and forming new communities. If any any in person event we have in the future will have a large virtual streaming community component, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's important. I think that's what we've learned, certainly. At that outreach and he's able to have teams from Skywalker Sound and from England at our virtual event right. but I want to go back to LA and I want to go back to Sony and have that in-person feeling of experts in front of a crowd and manufacturers showing new product and all the good things that we do I want to gather in the church basement and sing with the choir you know <laughs> um, uh, but that's that's it uh, that that event I love that event I mean it is that world it's uh, a great one yeah it's a really it's a really creative uh part of pro audio that you get these people who are also looking at picture and they have different requirements they have uh, different needs and they have to follow story and dialogue always has to be heard so right. your music is limited but it brings it all together to me okay I think on okay. that note uh, <laughs> we're done not, so oh uh, okay and i i I know i ramble I, it's six o'clock oh my gosh but thank you Oh, I, thank I you I've, no, and I want to sing tribute to this, this, this thing. Um, of all the people in pro audio, I can. I started when I was 28. Karen is still my dear friend, and um, that that too says some testament. I've watched your children grow up. I I, I taught Wyatt Max to pitch pennies at Nathan, I Nathan and Max. You did Nathan <laughs> and Max. Uh, but I taught them to pitch pennies, and that was fun. That was, yeah. I mean, uh, watching your children grow up and everything, and still maintaining this part that I can see you at the tuck Awards and they, we can work together. events, that's a treasure to me that's coming to California. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. This has yeah. been great.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of One and Done. Don't forget to check out today's show notes and our YouTube channel for more from our guests and subscribe to our KMD Pro Weekly Resource Guide on kmdpro.com. This podcast is produced by Jules Everson and Stephanie Lebon. Our audio engineer is Corey Klotz. We'll see you next time.